Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1419, I think. (laughs) Uh, Our title today is I Am Orion Man. Our podcast title is Wakanda Podever. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And, oh, so much is going on in the genre world, but, you know, we only have limited time. And today we have decided we're going to talk about, well, last week, as you may recall, I went off to the pictures and I saw a movie set in an African kingdom mm-hmm. with an elite royal guard composed of women. Mm-hmm. And they were fighting invaders from the sea, mm-hmm. and it wasn't Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. <laughs> Instead, it, it was uh, Gina Prince Bythewood's The Woman King. Although it did actually have an actress in it from the MCU. Um, oh, yes. One of the characters was the actress who played Monica Rambo. Nice. in uh, some of the movies. But this week, we are actually going to look at Black Panther, <laughs> Wakanda Forever. And first off, though, we are going off into space, which is not unconnected with Wakanda because they actually do have space travel capability in the comic books, at least. Mm. So Artemis won. Ah, yes. And nobody else was was playing against them. So at <laughs> this stage, congratulations to NASA and its contractors on the so far successful launch and mission of its unmanned Artemis 1 test vehicle, mm-hmm. which is intended to re, re-pioneer the trail for a return to US American crude landings upon the moon. That's crude, not crude. Ooh. They're not looking for oil. At least I wouldn't put it past them. At least I don't think so. Helium-3, possibly. Uh, so they're trying to get back to the moon before the end of this decade. Mm-hmm. It is a manned and robotic expedition, like all of the good ones. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where all the movies begin. <laughs> <laughs> the sci-fi horror, space horror, they all begin with uh, that premise. But... Shades of Duncan Jones. There you go. There's, a, there's our obligatory uh, side shuffle to David Bowie this week. <laughs> it's going to last 26 days, not 28 days unless things go wrong, uh, and it will spend about six days orbiting the moon when it gets there. Uh, now, there's different parts to this. The Orion space capsule, which is sit, was sitting on top of the, the stack, that's the actual crew compartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you've got the space launch system, which consists of a liquid fuel main rocket plus some solid rocket boosters. Mm-hmm. That kind of tech's very familiar to us from the space shuttle era. Yep. So, But they're, they're big... <laughs> Much big. They've grown. Very big. Great big rockets. So this is real rocket science, this one. And, they, and obviously they're launching from Kennedy Space Centre. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing as the Apollo missions. But it's called Artemis and Apollo was um, Artemis' sister. I uh, see. Sorry, brother. Nice, nice. 
okay. other way around. And, um, you know, so the idea is that they're replicating a lot of the tech from that. Yeah. But in, you know, 19, times. 2000 times <laughs> yes. instead of 1960s and 70s. You'd hope we'll have progressed, don't you? Well, if anyone's got a mobile phone on, on, on board, if they put one of those on board, it'll have so much more computing power than the original Apollo True, so. capsules. So, yeah, so it's not just going up there unmanned. They have 10 CubeSats aboard. Those are the little cubicle satellites. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that are kind of like a user-form kind of robot in a way. They can be subjected to all sorts of different things and can be... Configured for different missions, so there's glad it's not a chimp. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, no, there's uh, seven of those. I think there were supposed to be ten originally, but free didn't make the deadline. So these are being designed by all sorts of different um, locations. So you've got universities involved in the Italian Space Agency and uh, all sorts of different things. And some of these are, are designed to uh, image the propulsion stage. So they've got cameras on board of this. Right. And the cameras, as I was stepping out from Earth orbit, the, the pictures, oh, you could look back and see all of us. I'm surprised they're not doing some kind of live stream from space situation. I think they're actually supposed to be doing that, but it's yeah. pretty dull actually just looking out <laughs> over the... You need the sped up version, like 10 times speed or something. Yeah, yeah. Even then you wouldn't see much because, you know, you've got the uh, one of the cameras on the end of one of the three big solar panels that are powering mm-hmm. the ship and that looks back onto the capsule and then, you, oh, yeah, you know, that, that shot from Earth. I just want to see the Earth, you know. <laughs> there is one of those. Okay. Go online, you can find that. So, you know, you look back in this picture and you see Earth and because the uh, the manned space station is uh, orbiting the Earth as well, that means it. that every human being wow. in existence is on... In view. In view, yeah. So you can't hide. That's mind-boggling. <laughs> So there are little things with the CubeSats. There's one that's um, uh, got yeast cards on board, so they're going to rehydrate those to detect, measure and compare the effects of deep space radiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're studying particles and magnetic fields. One of them's imaging the Earth's plasma sphere. Uh, yeah. So they're also going to be looking at impact craters on the Moon's far side. Uh, there's a, a an orbiter on board in one of these CubeSats as well that will use an infrared spectrometer to detect water uh, and other organic compounds, if possibly there on the, uh, the lunar surface. Uh, so there's a lot of um, water and ice-focused sort of yep. science that they want to do there. There's also one, a near-Earth asteroid scout, an independent spaceship, and this is from uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, mm-hmm. JPL, and that's got a solar sail on it, and that's going to set sail towards a near-Earth a- asteroid. Oh, that's kind of cool. That is so cool. And then land on it? Uh, or fly just by. Fly, fly by, by get a case. bit of data. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think they're going to throw anything from it at the asteroid or, <laughs> or laser it or anything this time. I don't know, actually. I'd, I'd like to find out more about that one. There's another one that's a lunar probe that's going to attempt to land on the moon using solid rocket motors. So really, thinking about okay. this, even though it's unmanned, it's a, it's a huge platform for lots of science. and Lots of little different probes going out and fetching mm. info. Another one has got a, a low-thrust plasma, plasma propulsion propulsion system so you know like a i'm not sure if that's an ion drive in this case but um one of those ones so you know you've got solar sails plasma propulsion conventional rockets all these little scouts (laughs) you might you might very well say what do they need astronauts for well you know that that is a good question because (laughs) 
Yeah, look, the human beings are cheaper. Mm. <laughs> they can be manufactured by unskilled labour and also they are able to be a lot more flexible in terms of some of the mission options. I guess it's the age-old question of, of why can't we just replace all humans with machines and there's multiple, many reasons, the intricacies of human thought, blah, blah, blah. I'm blah. working on it. <laughs> They call me Rob Jan for nothing. Uh, okay, there's also a, a technological platform in there called Callisto. So, you know, more mythology associated with Artemis. And the idea of that is it's kind of like a... Uh, it's using Alexa, so it's basically using um, video conferencing software, so it's going to have AV transmissions from them. You know, it's a sort of interactive kind of thing. I've seen this movie, Rob. There's always the delay, and then when the feed comes through, you know, crew's been torn to bits. (laughs) (laughs) This is a problem, isn't it? Um, You know, we've so much... We've got... We don't have a whole lot of utopian science fiction. No, we've been scarred by many yeah. from the early days of watching Event Horizon. <laughs> uh, interestingly, of course, uh, Artemis is the um, the name of the whole program, the whole lunar program. So, as we said, it's a riff off um, Apollo being the brother of Artemis. And in um, Greek mythology, Artemis doesn't actually have anything to do with the moon. But right. the, when the Romans picked up on it, mm. they did. Um, sort of cross-pollinate with uh, lunar goddesses. So this is kind of makes a whole lot of sense. In I there. see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've already been through this, all of the different Artemises in science fiction and fantasy, so we won't bother to go there. But um, this is uh, a, an audacious mission, mm-hmm. a little bit old-fashioned in, in some respects because it's got so many of those mm. aspects that we've talked about before. And the Orion capsule itself is designed to... Um, be able to be used with a variety of different spaceships. Right. right. Un- unlike the Apollo, it's got it's four a four seater. Mm-hmm. So instead of three people, four can be on it. There are mannequins on board at the moment, and they're all equipped with sensors and stuff. Right to see, like to emulate what if it was a human? How you know yeah. crash test dummy? Yeah, times a hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, there's a, a Shaun the sheep. Oh. <laughs> And uh, Snoopy, of course, of there's course, a Snoopy, yes. you know, in his little space suit. Yeah, and, that. Nice. And, and these are like, these are traditional type things because um, in the camera, in the internal camera that shows the crew compartment, you'll mm. be able to see the, yeah. the float in zero yeah, gravity. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's it's all sorts of good <laughs> things to go there. I love the fact that they've got a Snoopy on board. Now, you might very well ask, does this ship carry a lander? Yes, that is a good question. It does not. Okay, so it's just going to be... Hovering about. It's just going to orbit the moon a couple yeah, of times, and and six back. times, I think, and then come back. Well, also, they've told us. <laughs> I'm so such a sceptic. Well, the mannequins, the mannequins are not going to want to land. That's true. What's landing and running out onto the surface? <laughs> because in, in some of the early Apollo missions where they just went to the moon and orbited it and they were full-dress rehearsals, they had a lander on board. Yeah, right. Uh, and they never... Uh, even though they were tempted, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they didn't okay. didn't do it. I guess that's comforting in that we're not just going straight all in to 100. This is the data gathering. Well, we've done this before. Yeah. We, I say. No, yeah. You know, humanity has done yes. this before. Yeah. So there are some things that you can do that you can kind of mm-hmm. skate through. Mm-hmm. Like we know that when they land, they're not going to sink into the lunar and dust. And, and we have some techno- additional technology now. That can, a little, yeah. yeah. Some. <laughs> so the, the answer is no, they do not carry a lander. Mm-hmm. Are they going to eventually? Because it's Artemis well, 1, which surely. is unmanned. Artemis 2 will be manned yep. uh, or actually womaned 
With, with humans. As well. Yeah. Um, Artemis 3 is the one that's going to go for the landing. Okay. And again, I have not re- addressed the, the issue of where is the lander? Mm. NASA doesn't have one. Where is it? It's being built by SpaceX. They got the contract for it. God. Well, you know. See my face. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing. The, the starships that SpaceX has been building have shown and displayed impressive capabilities yeah. just on being able to um, f- fly in the atmosphere of Earth. And that's actually more complicated than the yeah. lunar Yeah, I guess they probably have a really amazing group of engineers. I should not deride their efforts based on my personal feelings about the Musk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're stainless steel rockets, which I think is just so awesome. Uh, so they're going to have one of those called the Human Landing System, and the that that will that will go to the moon unmanned by itself, right. uh, orbit the moon, and yep. then an Orion crew capsule will we'll rendezvous, and they will you know. But that means you've got the potential to put say two or three of those yeah. in lunar orbit as backups. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, it need not be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. You can you can send down a replacement dropship. Yeah. They just need to get Bishop to the landing pad on the. No, something like that. <laughs> but yeah, so that'll 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 be happening like twenty twenty five, something like that. Not that far away. Not that far away. Presumably, if it all if all goes to plan. Yeah, if SpaceX doesn't fall apart in some great big financial disaster. Gosh, I, I hope any of the good things aren't yeah marred by other happenings. Other happenings, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm sure you'll be able to read all about it in uh, Twitter Twitter feeds. On and Twitter, stuff. I mean, wait, sorry. <laughs> Uh, it will be useful to keep an eye on, I think. It will be oh, pretty yeah. interesting to see. Um, yeah, but, you know, but you have to be careful with lunar rockets because, as uh, George Melies found <laughs> in his groundbreaking Trip to the Moon film, <laughs> um, you can put an eye out with That's one of those true. things, especially the, the so eye true. of poor old Celine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so excited about all this. As you can tell, the sense of wonder is there. Yeah, and all the new tech they've got, it'll be, yeah, it's kind of cool to have this all kicking off again. Yeah, and also they're building a space station in orbit of the moon. Okay, interesting. We're really ramping things up again, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, so they're uh, they're doing that. And they're also building um, Gateway Station, which is Mm -hmm. a space station that I was talking about. Okay. Uh, You know, more aliens references there. It's all happening. It's all happening. Zero G and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. All right. So, Black Panther, Wakanda forever, crossing his arms in front of his chest. Uh, Yeah. Yes, we are back for round two. So, of course, the first Black Panther film, which was directed by Ryan Coogler, uh, was met with quite a bit of acclaim, and a lot of people certainly enjoyed that one. Uh, I think it was a bit of a nice refresh, something quite different coming in at a time when people were looking for something more diverse, something with different kinds of stories, and led by, you know, more people of colour. So... That was the first Black Panther film, and we're now looking towards the second Black Panther film, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, um, also directed by Ryan Coogler, and he also co-wrote the screenplay with Joe Robert Cole. I think sort of after the first Black Panther success, Kevin Feige definitely wanted a similar creative team, and so from early on there was negotiations to try to keep that team on. Uh, it is the 30th film in the MCU. Wow. I know, I know. And and we're in phase four. And, of course, um, 
definitely sort of overshadowing the project and really changing the course of what the film was going to be is uh, Chadwick, sorry, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's death in August of 2020. So that came as a surprise to Kugler, the director, and um, a lot of people working on Black Panther too. I think Boseman, from what I can tell, was still trying to plan to be in the film, um, was starting to prepare his role again, but unfortunately did die of colon cancer around that time. And so respectfully, it was decided not to recast his role as T'Challa, which I think is by far the right call. And I, I'm really glad that they went that route. But of course, that means everything that they had had planned for dealing with, you know, his rise as King T'Challa and dealing with what Wakanda, why can't I speak? <laughs> Wakanda. Dealing um, with the rise of that country and everything, all of that had to be rethought when they were looking to do this sequel. Well, Kugler's um, production company, Proximity Media, uh, they're doing content for Disney. Mm -hmm. So that included a a Wakandan television series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Kugler's been off doing uh, exec producer stuff for Creed Mm 2, which I saw the advertisement for for that as well, and and outlining the story for Creed 3. That's all that Rocky franchise, a different franchise. Yeah, and it's got Michael B. Jordan in it, Mm -hmm. who we saw and, well, I saw and loved, as Killmonger in the first Black Panther. And and I think uh, in... uh, Creed 3, I saw some promo they also got Jonathan Majors coming in so very pleased about that because I like both of those actors but to turn our attention back to the MCU uh, yes so we're now looking at the sequel and obviously the plot and focus has shifted um, and it deals with after the death of King T'Challa and thankfully, I don't, this is not a spoiler at all there's no CGI anything there's no misuse of that kind of technology to have Boseman in the film at all. It's treated really well, I thought. So quite early on in the film, after the death of King T'Challa, Wakanda is grieving, specifically his sister Shuri, who was such wonderful energy and comic relief in the first film, playing very different role here because of what she's been through. But she's thrown herself into technology to avoid facing her grief. Uh, and also we're looking to um, T'Challa's mother, Queen Ramonda, who is now leading Wakanda and... Wakanda's kind of under a bit of pressure at the time to share the vibranium. They've come out to the world and they're finding themselves in a position where they really have to defend their assets against hostility from other countries. So these ripple effects um, sort of start to affect the B... I call it the B plot because I think the A plot is dealing with the death of King T'Challa. Sure, yeah. But the B plot, which is the appearance of another group of mysterious warriors from the depths of the sea... Mm. Uh, specifically an underwater Mayan-inspired civilization uh, led by a mythic-like figure called Namor. Which is actually Roman backwards. Oh, Um, And so we've also got that going on as well. Their their appearance kind of kicks off a bunch of different events. There's a lot of weird MacGuffins here, but at the essence we see this other civilization and another society that's operating quite similar to Wakanda, except under the sea. They've also quite developed, but in their own way, uh, and they have access to vibranium as well. And uh, we also have into the mix uh, an MIT student named Riri Williams Mm. who has unwittingly made a device that can detect detect vibranium. So obviously that's very in demand and we also 
have her brought into the story um, to kind of fend off the different effects of this appearance of these new antagonists. Now, originally the um, plot was going to deal with T'Challa coming to terms with being snapped, being gone for five years during the Thanos blip. Mm -mm -mm. So this is an interesting thing. It means that essentially from the narrative point of view, Mm. uh, T'Challa has been dead for five years. Yeah. And now he was returned Mm. and now he has died again Mm. in the plot. So, Gosh. And and I was thinking, pondering about this, and both times, essentially, um, from her point of view, Mm. Shuri has failed to save her brother's life. Yes. And she's highly intelligent, definitely uses her skills to do, you know, all kinds of amazing things. And so having things like life and death out of her control... I think we see some threads about how that's kind of affected her. Um, well, she was the second smartest person in any room that contains Tony Stark, but, you know, now since he's gone. Mm-hmm. So this film has to do three things. It has to honour and commemorate the passing and the life and achievement of the actor Chadwick Boseman yep. and the character King T'Challa mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Black Panther, who is the, Bla- the Black is Panther. Panther. Yes. And pass both the throne of Wakanda and the mantle of Black Panther mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So, th- and those things it's important to know are not necessarily twinned. Yeah. yeah. They can be, but they don't have to be. Mm. It's important to realise that. Um, there's a s- the second purpose is uh, also to do with the legacy of another key Marvel character. And look, it's Riri Williams. We know. Yes. Is that. is the Tony Stark protege yes. basically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, although she's actually done a lot more by herself than uh, Tony ever well, worked on in the comics. Well, and from more humble beginnings as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that's fairly known, her role, especially if you're keeping up with the announcements around um, yeah. TV shows and things like that. So. The third thing that this movie has to achieve, and this is mm. a subtle one, it has to not be Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I actually felt watching this film that what I was seeing was a film that was that had to be, there are things that had to achieve. Yes, yes. I think it actually, there's a lot for this film to overcome and deal with. I actually Mm. think it's a very, very, very tricky, and I applaud them for going this route because it's definitely the harder route out of what they could have done here. Difficult, difficult. And I don't, I mean, you know, I have some problems with the film, which we can get into a little bit later, but I think overall I've started to think about it's quite an insurmountable feat to Mm. be coming up against all these different things, you have to try and move a narrative on, but then you're thrown into, as you mentioned, having to pass over these mantles of different legacies while also trying to have an actual concrete antagonist so you've got some fight. You know, we can't have a whole film of a family's grief. I mean, I'm sure that would be a poignant addition, but honestly, people come for some action, so we need some of that. It's a... I don't envy the creative team and and what they've had to tackle here. And so there are definitely elements where the movie um, exceeds expectations in some of those areas and unfortunately some areas where I think it falls a bit short. Kugler said that this was um, the most difficult thing he's ever done. I don't doubt it. It, it's, It's such a big especially after having had such a strong foundational entry with the first film mm. and such a beloved character and a beloved actor. You've chosen a track to play, which I, I kind of find poignant in its title. Uh, Alone? Yes. By 
Burma Bov? Yes. So this is from the the soundtrack uh, involves both the score and then we also have some original songs and um, music, yeah. music, I suppose, that's also an accompanying soundtrack as well. So I thought we would – we love to play a bit of a score, but I also thought we might listen to a little bit of a, a track from the – some of the original music. Um, mm. And from, who did the, the, uh, the, the, the main score? Uh, Ludwig. Ludwig Gordonson. Yes. yes. So another beautiful score from him, uh, also in Black Panther, but this track is also featured in the soundtrack. Hmm. This is the way. Hi, I'm Steve Squires. I worked on the Mars Exploration Rovers, Voyager, Magellan, and Cassini space missions, and I wrote the book Roving Mars. So if anyone should understand Zero G, you'd think it would be me. Nah, sorry. Zero G, science fiction and fantasy radio on 3 Triple R FM. <laughs> it's funny you should mention Mars, then um, Elon Musk says that going to the moon is not necessary to go to Mars. Deary me. <laughs> Yet nevertheless, SpaceX is building the lunar lander. <laughs> Uh, that track was Alone, and it's from the Wakanda Forever soundtrack, uh, and it's by Burner Boy, uh, who's also known as Damini Ebunaluwa Ogulu, MFR. Uh, but his artist's name is Burner Boy, and he's a Nigerian singer, and he contributed that track to the soundtrack of the Black Panther sequel, Wakanda mm. Forever, which we are talking through now. And I guess um, we talked a little bit about the, the premise, so should we dig into who appears mm. in the sequel? Because of the makeup of the first Black Panther movie, it happens to be a lot about women for mm. the second movie, yeah. uh, without um, King T'Challa being there anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Queen mother, which is to say Queen uh, Ramonda, uh-huh. yep. um, she has to lead her country, Wakanda, in the face of reawakened interest in vibranium. Yep. Uh, during the snap, the blip, the world had other problems. Yes. So they set all of that up. You know, Wakanda yeah. revealed itself to yep. the world. Uh-huh. Uh, they had this amazing magic mineral resource. Yep. Kind of a little bit like lithium for batteries, really, when you think about it. On Yeah, like times a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or unobtainium in the Avatar movies. That's true, true. Uh, and, of course, they had no Black Panther protecting them yes. during that time yep. because they didn't have the heart-shaped herb to create the panther. There was definitely – I'd missed a lot of that. Yeah. And I needed the exposition spelled out because there was definitely scenes where I was like, what's going on? But, yes, you're right, I did, that heart-shaped herb. I did some revision before I watched it. <laughs> so um, uh, in, we know Angela Bassett plays uh, the Queen and we've seen her before a lot in American Horror Story. Yes. Across multiple characters. They, I mean, that has the same cast across the different anthology series. Yeah, yeah. I think it was last in uh, the eighth season, Apocalypse. Gosh, still going. There. She is a formidable presence in yes. this movie. She has a lot of agency mm-hmm. as the Queen. Yep. Uh, she gets some epic speeches in this. There's a lot of capital A acting going on from mm. her in this. Like she's really putting in, you know, and I yeah. think I, I, I respect that. I think, I mean, and they give her some good material. I think the great thing about what this film is building on is they've introduced already some fantastic, strong female characters in the first one. Yeah. And so they're building on that more here. Mm. And she, of course, has to lead the nation, which means that she's in charge of the uh, the uh, Dora Milaje Guard Commander, General Okoya, who is now leader of the whole armed forces. Yep. So it's upon Okoya, upon her and the Royal Guard, uh, 
that it falls a large part of the protectorship of Wakanda yes. during this time. Yep. And it's, um, its resources. And, yeah. And, and they're up to the task. She is awesome. Actually. Yeah. You know, um, of course, the actress who plays Michonne in uh, The Walking Dead. Mm. Didn't know that. Mm. I'm not a Walking Dead person. Ah, right. <laughs> she's she's bald in this one, um, and uh, still carries a very large bladed weapon, though. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, she's got a great relationship with um, the Queen Mum. Yes. In this case, and it's a troubled relationship. Too. Very much so. Yeah. Mm. And I, I thought that it was good that they didn't just sort of cruise along. Yeah. In that. Uh, also, they, also there is the uh, the former partner Nakia. Um, played by Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a former Wakandan war dog, which is to say a covert operative. Yep. She's chosen to go off on a different tangent now. Yep. Um, so we know her, the actress, because uh, of her motion capture role as Maz Kanata in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. And also where in... I saw her recently in 2022. Um, was she in Us? Uh, yes, I'd like to say. Yes, she was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I recently saw her in a 2019 zomb- zombie comedy film called Little Monsters. Oh, yes. She nice. was a kindergarten teacher. Oh, of course. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. She's great in this too. Yeah. Um, she gets a whole brand new costume, which we've had a preview of if any of you are out there playing Marvel Strike Force <laughs> online. Uh, we saw the costume in that appear. She's she's a bit of a fave, and I think it was a good move for them to bring her back into the fold, get her into the action, mm. all of that. Mm. And she has a lot to do with the plot. And again, the relationships between the women in this story are mm. incredible. You know, yes, and, yeah. and it shouldn't be something that we have to call out, but it is. Yeah, you know, this is an action film, uh, and the the band of uh, I don't know seven or eight uh, main. Female characters—they all interact very well, and in, 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 in a fashion that I found very believable. Mm. I thought it was great. Of course, we've got um, uh, Princess Shuri, yep. uh, who, as I said, twice failed to save T'Challa's life, and wearing that. Yes. And I think like, her fundamental problem in this is that um, she's turned, as you were saying earlier on, to technology. Yeah. And that's yep. not a bad thing necessarily. It always worked for Tony Stark, but in her case. The problem is that she sort of failed in a, in the technological arena to to do what she needed to do. Yeah, I think there's a bit of desperation there, and I also think obviously they're using it. It's quite clear she's using that as a replacement for dealing with her grief. Hmm. Uh, and obviously, her role, Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, her role was increased for the sequel. It's definitely much bigger than it would have been uh, if Boseman was still with us. Yes, and so I also think the tone of the role has probably shifted because she you was, think? well, she was very much a bit of comic relief, a lot of fun and lightness in the first one. Yeah. Still fierce, but I think uh, her her real quest here is around grief and coming into power. And yeah. so I think uh, that's an interesting journey and I, I'd say definitely different to what we might have seen um, her role be in the alternate universe version of, of this film. But that is to say there, there is some light moments. There's definitely some moments where she gets to, you see a little spark of the... <laughs> of of Shuri again, um, yeah. But she's very. Uh, there's a lot of pain and melancholy there too. Well, you know, um, the three of the women who work together a lot in this story are uh, Akoya and also um, Shuri 
and Riri Williams. Yes. So yes. they they form this uh, sort of mini sort of team yep. within it. And it's interesting because Shuri and Riri, they're not that dissimilar. They're both complete yeah. tech heads, you know. Yeah. But Okoya, she's very uncomfortable. She is the consummate ultimate warrior and she doesn't quite sit well with either one of them. Yeah, it's a very odd trio in a way, which I think creates some nice energy. Uh, Riri Williams is played by Dominique Thorne hmm. in this. Oh, Okoya, of course, is played by uh, Denai Guerrero and mm-hmm. she... Gets it. The actress gets it. She knows how to how to work this relationship between the two sort of, I guess you could call them almost more, um, well, you know, Riri is actually a, a green combatant. Mm. You know, she is not, um, she's not been like Tony Stark baptised by fire and, you know, 10 years of fighting in the armour and stuff, that kind mm. of thing. She's not there. But that's interesting because they've got that all sort of interlocking. So, all right, so th- those three characters... Um, I like the fact that Riri, well, she is, appeared, Dominic Thorne has appeared in um, If Beale Street Could Talk in 2018 oh. mm. and Judas and the Black Messiah in 2021, where she played a member of the Black Panthers. Oh. <laughs> so, but not those Black Panthers. Um, and uh, she's uh, got uh, Trinidadian parents and she is now going to be playing uh, mm. Ironheart. Yep. That's the name of the the armoured character that she will play going forward in a television series, yep. which is being co-produced by Kugler's company, uh, Proximity. Yeah, nice. Well. So this is their soft introduction to the character, just as we had uh, Black Panther introduced in um, Captain America... Civil War. Civil War, yeah. Yeah, Civil War. Yeah. yeah. So Ironheart will be a sequel to this film um, in theory. I think they've said that, that the, the series Ironheart is being treated as like a follow-on from the events of this film mm. um, and it will be out in 2023, which is not that far away. <laughs> and I think even if you weren't as familiar, I mean, we've told you, but yeah. if you weren't as familiar with Riri Williams and what her role is, it's pretty clear based on some of the things she builds implausibly in my mind, uh, in, in the time she has. But, I mean, I'll take it. She's a genius inventor. That's fine. Um, you Quite clearly it shows you that she's meant to be a successor to um, yes. no, uh, she's, the she, Iron Man vibe. She's not roadie using Stark-built um, uh, war machine armour. She's mm. not... She's got her own thing going on. Yeah, she's not um, Spider-Man, again, using um, Stark tech for mm-hmm. Iron Spider, and he's resolved from that anyway. Mm. So she is actually the, you know, you know she's not more, even Stark's daughter, she's not Morgan. Um, so, mm. but I knew that going into this film, because of the um, Chad's sort of, you know, uh, absent presence mm, in the mm, film, mm. that there'd be moments when, like, vibranium dust would blow in my eyes and make them water. <laughs> and and it's, it's all true, but one of the moments in this one is actually to do with Riri when her when she powers up some gadgets and there's oh, yeah. a particular sound and I'm going, oh. <laughs> I have moved on mm. um, in, my, in my arc of arcs. <laughs> but, you know, that that, that, that that was a great moment for me. So we also have... Um, other people in this film, strangely enough. Yes, should we talk a bit about some of the people in what we're calling, I'm calling the B-plot? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, okay. Uh, just uh, one last um, uh, woman to be mentioned is Julia Louise Dreyfus playing uh, the Countessa Valentina de Fontaine. Oh, yeah. Now a CIA director. 
Yeah. They're setting her up for have her own team of um, people in the Thunderbolts movie. Yeah. I'd call that like the the Z plot. There's definitely there's some action going on in outside of Wakanda and outside of um, mm. Talokan, which is the underwater city, around with Martin Freeman reprising his role as Agent Ross from the CIA and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, as you mentioned. So they're kind of tra- trucking along, little ear on the action, fairly not nothing really happening there but i can see they're building a thread of yeah. having them involved in things to I, propel further action i thought that was one of the, the the less satisfying aspects of the film i'd say you could probably almost get rid of that whole thing yeah. <laughs> but um or, or stick it in the, in a uh, an extended um, it was, cameo at the end of the yeah, film or something it wasn't entirely necessary some of a little bit of pro- plot propulsion but 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 not yeah, much. Not so much. anyway, and yes. Martin Freeman is in there as well, playing Agent Ross once again. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, all right. Um, he actually makes sense in this context because we've had him interacting with yeah. Wakanda before. I think his American accent is weird, but <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to Namor. Yes. Oh, sorry. I should. I was the one who tried to move us to Namor, but just briefly, I would do want to call out Michaela Cole. Um, oh. She plays another of the Wakandan warriors, and I do just want to call her out because she was in an excellent series, I May Destroy You, and she was also in an episode of Black Mirror, but she plays another of the warriors, and she's a little bit of a bigger role in this. Uh, and so I did just want to call her out. I recognised yeah. her. Well, I will I will counter your call out <laughs> uh, with um, comedian Trevor Noah, who's doing the voice oh, yes. of Shuri's AI. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. I wonder if that will ever lead to a, a role. Like, like, Jarv- like Jarvis. Yeah. yeah, who knows? Um, sadly, also no Daniel Kaluuya in this as no. he was off filming. Nope, sadly. But yes. Nope, he's just not in this. Exactly. Let's oh. move to Talakan, yes. as mentioned. Mm-mm. So we have um, Tanok Herta playing Namor. So he's kind of the leader of Talakan, which is the uh, underwater city, as we mentioned. It's yep. this ancient yep. civilization. Uh, he's also kind of seen as a bit of a god by those people, and they call him. Kukulkan? Kukulkan. There you go. You've done a better job than me. Uh, And he's definitely, they do a whole backstory about his origin and you're definitely tried, they want you to empathise with him even though he, you know, we're coming up face-to-face. He's the key person we're fighting against. So it's a very interesting dynamic here. They're drawing a lot of parallels between Talakan and Wakanda and King T'Challa and this uh, Namor character. However, it's definitely there become at odds too. So. And, it, and it plugs into another th- big theme of this movie, uh, colonisation and yes. its impact. Yeah, yeah. Did you know this is what, what this film inspired me to do? I went off and had a look and I, I thought, are there any African nations that were not colonised? Mm. Um, and the two, they're, they're kind of a little bit... Uh, you know, wibbly-wobbly anyway in mm. that definition. There's Ethiopia, mm-hmm. although they did fight, they, they fought major a major battle against the Italian colonisers and, and beat them. Um, and also uh, Liberia. Wow. Um, and the reason for, not Libya, Liberia, mm-hmm. and the reason for Liberia not being colonised is actually was a colony uh, that the uh, Americans set up to basically uh, accept freed slaves going back to Africa because they couldn't quite put Gosh. them back where they were. Right. So just those two. That's an entire damn yeah, continent. That's yeah. You know, so that's that that energised my thoughts about it. And then I went off on a tangent trying to figure out how the hell Wakanda. <laughs> 
managed to notionally avoid colonisation or at least colonisation attempts. Yeah, because it would have taken a while for them to build up their defences and, you, you know, and so on. Well, I, I think it was probably bribery in high places. Oh, yes. That would make you know, entire right? sense. Yeah, you know? yeah. Plus, of course, the fact that if anyone did send an army or, or explorers, they go missing. Yes. <laughs> Basically. While we're on Namor. Oh, on, the, on Namor, um, the actor. Yes. Really, I mean, you know, like he's a Mexican actor. He did um, uh, also did Narcos Mexico. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for me, you know, and he was in the Forever Purge, you know, one of the science fiction dystopia movies. But he was the title character of Blue Demon. Oh, okay. uh, Mexican professional wrestler. Oh, cool. <laughs> and that probably informs his physique in this film because yeah. he is buff. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. From the from the top of his head down to his winged feet. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> What did you think of the underwater portions? So, Talakan in the comics, I believe it's Atlantis. Yes. So it's 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 sort of molded on that, but they call it Talakan here, and it's definitely inspired, as I mentioned, by kind of Mayan and ancient cultures. And there's they've treated it very differently to other underwater uh, scenes that I've seen. What did you think? Aquaman? Yeah. What did you think of how they did the underwater bit? Well, okay, just rolling back a bit, 1939, the Submariner appears in comic books. Uh, Bill Everett was the creator of that uh, for Marvel Comics, timely comics. Um, was a, a parallel character to Captain America and the Human Torch back then. Uh, fought against Nazis in World War II, um, was a member of the All Winners Squad in 1946 and later on in the Defenders team. Aquaman came out in 1941, so that's actually after the establishment mm. of the Submariner. But the Aquaman movie has come out more recently, so right. they're trying to avoid parallels. And is the Submariner, who is he in this? It's Namor. Namor's yeah. a, a comic uh, site, like, counterpart. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So, you know, so there's the whole problem with that is that they've got to try not to do too much Aquaman stuff. Yeah. I believe they successfully avoided that. I think agree, but to its detriment. You reckon? I think the underwater scenes in this are harder to watch. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they feel uncanny and they're, they're more realistic. They're absolutely more realistic. Yeah, yeah. But that's, realistic underwater is hard to watch. And I found it very dark and murky mm. and it, it made me feel weird. <laughs> see, now I, see, that's something. I cannot. I can't argue with that, and I won't, mm. because that's exactly what you brought to the, the thing. But you didn't. You found that they were okay. Well, you know, I'm a bit of a diving geek. Um, not actually having done it myself, but yeah, I'm a kind of a, but... a diving geek. So watching the seats, the the, the hard suit scenes that they use, mm. and some of the other sequences, I like the fact that they they portrayed whales and. Uh, they weren't yeah. using they weren't using them to actually fight with no. as such. They weren't having the killer whales go in and bite people. Or, it, it was. I like that. It did look good. I will say. I guess. In, and by look good, I mean they've captured the essence of what yeah, I do feel yeah. an, a legitimate underwater civilization would be like. But it's if you're making it part of an action, like the scenes inside, like the cave that behaved like above ground, were just so much easier to watch and interact with. That, this is the thing with diving movies. Um, Bron Burton and uh, Radio Marinara. I think they're doing going through a James Bond diving sequence sort of thing at the moment on their show. Um, Hannah Beachler is the production designer for this, and mm. so she's like sort of riffing off 
uh, Jack Kirby's um, stuff from the comic books. And uh, and she has, like, no, absolutely no insult to her work. Like, you can tell a lot of effort has gone in. I just think I realise that sometimes in a movie, less realistic yeah, is easier yeah. to watch. I, I do get that. Mm. I, I found the cave sequences actually, for me, a little bit off-putting. So we had, we had <laughs> the opposite, opposite sort of yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. They I, can't win with us, can they? <laughs> yeah, because I, I felt like it was a little bit... Um, Bond lair type stuff. Sure. No, know. I can see that too. But yeah, I mean, anyway, I'm, I was in, I'm it's, it's where we where we <laughs> land. Interestingly, in the water in this. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I'd be intrigued to hear what others think. Should we listen to a track before yes, we, we kind should. of do final thoughts? We should. We should. Uh, before we just uh, move off the cast, I think. Um, um, Huerta is very good as yeah. Namor. He has the, uh, the the strength of of, of arrogance. Yes. But also another side in this, which I thought was quite interesting, the way, mm. you know, the colonisation yes. side. Uh, and to carry that as well as being the villain, yep. I thought did him great credit. I think his acting is great. I think all the problems I have with the Talakan stuff is narrative. Okay. <laughs> I think he did a really good job with what he had. And I don't, I don't understand why they didn't incorporate the cenotes, the... Um, the uh, the uh, pools, the sacrificial pools in um, mm. South America, that would have been an interesting element. I don't know. Anyway, uh, other people appear in it. Um, Winston Duke playing uh, Mbaku, the uh, the king of the, back. the the Jabari tribe, uh, or leader at least. Let's I'll call him a king because it's you know it's um, the Wakandan king's process. Um, I thought he was really quite strong in this, and mm-hmm. not just. Yeah, he's he's very uh, charismatic to watch. Mm. But he he shows a clear arc in this, which I thought was yeah, great. Yeah, true. We had Richard Schiff, Toby Ziegler from the West Wing appearing as the US Secretary of State. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> useless cameo, but sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's have a track here. You have selected another one. Yes. Or yes, you have. Yes. What's that one again? <laughs> uh, Con la brisa. Yes, this is uh, part of the sort of part of the score, but also has some lyrics included as well. So this is from Wakanda Forever, and this is by Fodagush and Ludwig Göransson. Yes. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G. Yeah. And that was a track there from the Wakanda Forever soundtrack album. Yeah, lovely little lyrical track there. Uh, we are talking about the sequel today and we've talked through the cast and the plot and some of our thoughts. And I guess let's just um, wrap up with overall impressions. Mm. Look, I, I liked it. I was I admired the fact that they, they took on the most difficult challenge of all yeah, dealing with the, the death of a major character and a major cast member as well. Mm. Uh, and in a way, this was the film that had to be made. And yep. can, look, it's the a MCU, yeah. the thirtieth film. They can, they can actually do that. They can actually do that. Mm. This is a non-commercial decision in many ways. And I didn't see very much marketing around this film. It sort of just was suddenly out. I was quite surprised. Mm. Um, mm. So I, th- I think it's um, a little bit anti-Hollywood in some ways. Mm. At the same time, it is very Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Personally, I think as a tribute to Bozeman, I think it was well done. I think all those decisions, there was some poignant moments. The Marvel title card, everybody was very silent in the cinema and I heard a few sniffles. I thought that was really lovely. Yeah. Um, it's too long, I think. It's two hours and 40 minutes and it's the second longest MCU film after Avengers so really? Yeah, uh-huh. which was three hours. I think that is far, far too long, especially when we're talking through a B-plot, which I think was lacking 
I think um, my main problem is with some of the plotting, and I definitely understand that it's this has been a tricky project, mm-hmm. but I think the conflict and the tension was manufactured and it didn't really feel like it hit properly. Um, and I think because of my lack of engagement in that, that really impacted how I felt about the film. I think the meditations on grief and the loss of T'Challa and also him as a brother to Shuri and the private grief, I think all of that was well done. I think the film, when it talks, when it, the things that it's doing with talking about grief from a level of this person was something to me not and someone to the world, I think that was well done. I think where they've tried to include the action and conflict is where it just got a bit lost for me. But the, the fight scenes were amazing, of course. Oh, I thought yes. they did some amazing stuff like air combat, water combat, land combat, all of that looked fantastic. So overall, I think, and I've come in the time since seeing it that such a huge pivot from what they were going to do and such a huge undertaking. I respect it, but um, overall it didn't it didn't grab me as much as I wanted. I was a little disappointed. I felt the same in some respects. At the same time, I felt that Wakanda had actually become really solidified as a character in itself yeah, and I in think this film. Kugler did want to explore more about the different kinds of um, people that live in Wakanda yeah. and, and really flesh it out more as a vibrant place. And, and mm. I agree, they did that well. Yeah, I like that. I think that I think that playing Namor and having that all in there, that's that's a hard ask for anyone. It's a tricky character. He's an anti-hero mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. a very popular character from many angles. A bit of a dick, basically, in Absolutely. the comics. Absolutely, and, and him and the Wakandans—they've had—they've been at odds for a long time. Yeah, and he—you know—they tried to make a very complex relationship, but didn't have enough time to fully flesh it out. Yeah, uh, look, I, I'll give it a—I'll give it a a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a hell yeah, Phil, mm. but I've—I've I've got so much respect for it, you know. And this is a f- strange thing to say about a movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's about it for Zero G for today. Uh, Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. We'll give you a few bars from a track called Ironheart. Yes. From an album called Two Steps From Hell. Well, actually, that's the um, the uh, the group as well. And they do a lot of Hollywood trailer music. Oh. So, and it's got it's got nothing to do with this Ironheart, but it's a, there was a movie called Ironheart, you see. So, I don't know. <laughs> so that's what we will go out with today on Zero G. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.